Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I'm Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, here alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. And it is uh, late, late in, uh, in the evening, Monday night, um, after Michigan State's basketball's win over uh, Alcorn State and their uh, football win over uh, Indiana and uh, heading into an interesting week for both sports as well. Um, also a big weekend for hockey and huge, we may touch huge. on that. We may touch on that briefly. At some point we'll start to include uh, Nate Bott uh, on these uh, podcasts as well so we can bring some MSU hockey in because I think there is there is uh, some interest there. Uh, today will be mostly football and, and, and men's hoops and there's a lot a lot happening there as well, and we'll start with with basketball, Chris. And before we get to uh, we get to football, because it it this season has been a roller coaster, I think already, mostly a little on the disappointing end. I think people hoped they'd be better than this, or at least things would be smoother than this. But the last two games, I think we've seen progress, and we've seen a defensive identity emerge. That's something they can at least hang their hat on while they try to uh, figure it out offensively. Yeah, and Tom Izzo has talked about just integrating the freshmen and really, I mean, because Michigan State needs those three freshmen that are playing to play significant roles and significant minutes, I think sometimes people think you can just jam guys into college and they're going to be ready to go. And then not everybody's like that. I mean, there are things that you can see with Xavier Booker that he needs to work on with strength, positioning, fighting in the post, getting, you know, positional rebounds and not just settling to step outside. There are things with Cohen Carr on the defensive end that you can see uh, that, you know, in, in being in the right place and understanding his role and uh, I, I think that you see all those things with, and same with Jeremy Fears. I mean, you, you've seen Fears, um, it, it, you know, not necessarily as many of the glaring things as the two bigs, but a lot of that's because he doesn't have to play as big a role with so many guards that Michigan State has. So I, I think that there's, it, I'd like to consider this the acclimation and or acclimatization and integration period right now for Tom Izzo. And once you start to get to December, then you'll start to see things be basically round towards form. Because um, usually January is when when the rotation's down and guys are have played their way into or out of roles. Well, and they'll get Jackson Kohler back at some point in December too, and I think that will. Uh, help them a little bit. What, what is interesting, though, and I think to the point, the the acclimatization, acclim- whatever the whatever the right. word is, exactly it is, that one. Yeah, is I, I think to, with the freshman is to be expected. Um, yeah, there was hope that Xavier Booker would be a little uh, more seasoned and a long. You know, I think they knew this was going to be a process with him, probably more than the rest of us did. Uh, yeah, I agree. And you know, and fears, you know, if, if they didn't have seasoned guards and he was forced to start, I think. You know, he would develop fast enough to be a productive player as a freshman and pretty good. I still think his ceiling is really high, and I think he's got some some natural leadership abilities and, and, and does some things that uh, give him a chance to be special down the road. And, 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 you know, Cohen Carr gets lost a little bit, but we all, we've all seen the upside of Cohen Carr. Uh, yeah. I think where the disappointment is 
is you have this group of veterans that returns from a Sweet 16 team that played really well at times uh, at the end of February and March outside of a Big Ten tournament game it, 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 uh, against Ohio State. They were, they were terrific, and they looked like a team that was ready to really turn a corner. You saw A.J. Hogard take over for a while in an NCAA tournament game. You saw Jaden Akins uh, shut down you know, become a shutdown defender. You saw Tyson Walker playing both guard positions at an extremely high level. You saw a lot of really good things. I think what I underestimated is the loss of Joey Hauser and what that meant for spacing and having true shooters and the difference between somebody who's a capable three-point shooter who can hit three-point shots and somebody who defenses look at and go, shooter, uh-oh, and Michigan State only has, we'll see what Trey Holloman does consistently, and he had five threes the other night against a low major opponent. But Michigan has two guys who really fall into that category, and Jaden Nakins hasn't shot that well, but he's one. He's a 42% uh, three-point shooter last year, and, and Tyson Walker being the other. And you don't have, and maybe Booker is that, but he's not ready to play in every other capacity and, and, and hit shots that matter now. So you you really miss that four man who stretched the floor because Malik Hall at his best I think can be a really good player but he's a guy who can hit threes not a guy who is a shooter and there's a there's a, there's a huge difference you know and that's the, the funny thing you say about missing Joey Hauser and you're looking at it from an offensive standpoint I'm looking at it on top of that from the rebounding standpoint I mean they've been out rebounded in three of the five games they've played and people forget that Joey Hauser was a, a fighter under the glass. I mean, he scrapped for boards. He got some some real timely uh, second chance possessions uh, in his time. But but he he was able to stretch the floor on offense, but also go underneath. And I think that's where Booker, you know, the idea that Booker could come in and replace him. I mean, he's got to be able to play that. No one's going to mistake Joey Hauser for a great defensive player, but he became serviceable by the end. You know, it was very like, very much like Cassius Winston. You know, Cassius Winston wasn't a great defensive player, but he became serviceable with the guys around him covering up some of the limitations. The same with and he was in the right in the right Right. places. Right, that's a big that's a big thing. Right, and that's and that's I don't think you can replace four or five years in college, four and a half years or whatever it was for Hauser, uh, with someone in his first two months on the court. I mean, it's, that's a, that's a stretch and, and you know, it's going to take time. And I think people don't like to hear that, but that's the reality of it. Well, there's a good point. Cause Malik Hall though is essentially the replacement. Malik Hall is, right. is, is that guy too defensively is in the right places, but you're right. Cause the backup is Cohen Carr and sometimes Booker, but mostly Cohen Carr. And, and I think it will be uh, against Arizona Cohen Carr more. And, and that is, he is a guy who for all of his talent, you know, every once in a while is not in the right place, and and he'll make a decision defensively because it is a gap help defense. That's what this defense has always been. That's why Tom Izzo's in the Hall of Fame. And when you'll you'll see him make decisions defensively that then impact the rest of the team because he's not in the right place and, and things go awry. Um, and that you know that happened at the end of the James Madison game where it looked like it was Trey Holloman's problem, but it really wasn't. It was a Cohen Carr who created created the mess at one point. Um, and, and but that's going to happen, freshman. But the other thing I want to bring up real quick is that so the backups are young guys, but they're playing meaningful minutes. And like fears, I think one of the issues with Jeremy fears is a guy who is, um, you know, he 
he is playing the minutes that Tyson Walker, at the end of last year, they went away from Trey Holloman is, is the backup point guard. And a lot of key moments when, when, whenever uh, A.J. Hogarth struggled or was in foul trouble or whatever it may be, they went to Tyson Walker in a lot of big games down the stretch as the backup point guard. So at the very least, Tyson Walker's playing almost none of those minutes. doesn't mean he's not handling the ball at some points, but the backup point guard minutes are going to Jeremy Fears at this point. And so if he's not as good as a true freshman as Tyson Walker was as a first-time-around senior at the end of last year, you're not even as good in your, your, your backup minutes. And then you have this situation with A.J. Hogard where he's not playing anywhere near as well consistently as he did a year ago yeah and I think the you know we were talking about Malik Hall I mean I don't think you can expect a guy coming off surgery to kind of give you what Hauser did I mean he's not the the pure shooter that Hauser is well they're just different players yeah he can be it he he he's more of the glue guy he's more of the guy that will know all the defensive roles where to be and and be in the right different kind of score too you know, positional rebounder instead of a, a scrapper. I mean, they're different, but I mean, he can give some of the things that Hauser gave. What AJ Hogard needs to give is what AJ Hogard gave down the stretch. And every time I've seen him attack the basket, I don't know if it's something on his drives or um, just def- defenses kind of recognizing it and collapsing on him a little bit more and giving him a few more eyeballs and a little more pressure in the paint when he gets downhill because uh, he's he's driven and shot into guys' hands a lot. Like, uh, I mean, an alarming number for, for a guy that's 6'4 and can at times last year show that he can get and be creative in, in that paint area. And... But he's also settling for too many outside shots, I think, because he's not when he does get downhill, it's not I don't think it's necessarily that he's that the, he's thinking shot first. I think the shots, at least what I'm seeing, are common because he's not having success in the few times that he has driven. And it, it's weird a little bit too, because I, I do wonder if and he's got and, and AJ's gotta get over this, but I do wonder if having fears behind him a player who is so revered by Izzo, who Izzo talks about like the next Cleves. And you can see why. Like You watched Sunday night against Elkhorn State. There's a moment on it where all three freshmen are on the floor and Fears is in the second half just barking instructions. And he's telling guys where to go and he's got on an inbounds play. He yeah. puts Xavier Booker's arm up to defend it the way he should. He like lifted yeah, it right Xavier in front Booker's of us. arm. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, you you get why Izzo is so infatuated with with Fears and what he can become and, and certain traits that Fears has that Hogard maybe doesn't. Um but Hogard and, and so maybe Hogard is, is affected by that a little bit. I think there've been a couple moments where he started to get things going and he's been taken out and maybe that didn't exist as much for him a year ago. There wasn't Trey Holloman didn't feel like this this threat to him. It was his job, and 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 they were going to ride or die with him. And I don't know if that's affected things, but he has just not been is is good. And we still haven't we have not seen a moment from him yet. And maybe this Arizona game would be a good time to do it, where he where he really takes over for a stretch, and and they need that from him because um, he's capable of it. And that's sort of what uh, you know. He's a good player getting in, in the paint and, 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 and finding guys and, and creating habit. But there's a takeover ability that can make him special that we have not seen uh, one iota yet. Yeah, and I, you know, it makes me wonder when you've got um, 
the lineups that they have, um, you know, obviously Walker's going to end up drawing the smallest guy on the court all almost all occasions unless a team wants to go super big on him. But that's one area where Hogard needs to kind of match up on those smaller guards and take advantage of it, post them up, um, you know, get them in ball screen situations where you get the the smaller guy on you, however it might be. And they just haven't been able to execute that yet. And, you know, I I think you see some reversion in terms of the leadership. Um, You know, one of the things he did down the stretch last year was become less demonstrative and more demanding. And that's, that's a fine line. Sometimes I think fears has an understanding of how to do that. Like you don't, you, you can, Call your teammates out, but you can't embarrass them. That's the line. And I think sometimes A.J. Hogard doesn't quite get that line in trying too hard to be the leader that Tom Izzo wants that isn't necessarily who he is. And it, it, it's such a it's, it's, it's amazing that four years in, it's still the same dynamic in a lot of ways with that, with him fighting body language issues, fighting, you know, demanding his teammates do something versus – you know, I mean, getting wild and not taking sometimes accountability for his own mistakes. Part of the problem is, you know, and, and there, I think he's gotten better at some level of accountability and certainly understanding why is a, I agree with that. He has, he's gotten better. I think that's important to say. Uh, but the flip side of that is sometimes you just are who you are. You, you either have natural leadership abilities or it's not exactly who you are. And, 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 you know, Izzo can want somebody to grow into that, but it's just not who his seniors really are in certain ways. Now, Malik Hall, for example, is, you know, if you, if I said this about him last year, and it's an older veteran group now, and I think there are more of these guys. But a year ago, I would always say he was the adult in the room. If you were to have a Thanksgiving table, and many yes. of us have been at tables where you've got a kid's table and an adult table, and it's hard to graduate to the adult table because the adults just get older, but they don't actually die. The kids get older, but now you're just 30 at the kid's table. But... Uh, you know, and who gets brought into the adult table? It, it it would be Malik Hall first. Like he's the adult in the room, and I I think that that is a strength of his and a leadership quality. He is not somebody though who is uh, going to outwardly demand a ton of certain guys on the floor in certain moments, other veterans. Now, but what he does do, and you see this on the court, is you watch him with young big men, both Cooper and uh, Sissoko, especially telling them where to go, instructing certain things. He is very, especially with Sissoko, essential to Sissoko being in the right places, and, and he is constantly talking to him. There's a level of leadership, and, and I think part of the problem with Hogard is he doesn't have the credibility of when, you, when you're not playing well yourself and haven't always held yourself accountable in certain ways, you lose credibility to be a leader, and right. that's another that's a hard, hard thing to overcome if you're not – you know, I mean, you know, I, I can walk into a, a room full of people who, uh, you know, overeat and tell them, hey, you know, have some discipline in your life. But if I'm walking back and having three donuts, it doesn't really make a difference. You if know? these are, I'm just saying personal experience. I'm, I'm yeah, saying if. Right. You right. mean when, so, right? When, when, when that's when, what I meant. Yes. When, right, right. So I'm not the person for that conversation, in other words. Uh, <laughs> hey, 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 you just preach to the choir here. Yeah. So anyway, I, it, it'll be interesting. So this, th- let's get into this game here. And, and I, I don't. At this point, we don't need to go backwards a ton. I don't think. I mean, the Pierre Brooks was was, was interesting to have him in there. We, I guess, we, let's talk about that briefly. Pierre Brooks returned before we moved to Arizona because I do think that was interesting for a couple components. One, he played thirty six minutes. He played okay. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, 
had a, a dunk over Cohen Carr in the handshake line. Uh, at least uh, AJ Hogard uh, did not just kind of brush his shoulder by him, and, and, and apparently Malik Hall didn't shake his hand either. I didn't. I didn't see that point. Huh. Uh, and then the student section booed him, and one particular member of the student section was really relentless. But I was surprised by that because uh, you know he's a guy, and I understand the nature of the student section is to boo the opponent. But here's a guy who, you know, he wanted it to work at MSU. He may have not done all the things for it to work, but he was he was he was a Spartan for a couple of years. I was a little surprised to see that. Is that the name of the new NIL collective? What's that? Spartan for a couple of years. Spartan for a couple of years. Yes. You know, I, I Brooks is a good kid too, and he's a real smart kid. I, I know he was on a lot of the leadership councils for the MHSAA. So I mean, this is a guy that lives basketball. Um, but no, I mean, we all know, I mean, Tom Izzo said it best. He said, he's looking like he's keeping up with his body and doing good. He's looking good. I mean, that's ultimately what the issue was. I mean, well, part, part of it, he, he also, I mean, part you know, of it, but then he, he, when he started losing the minutes because of that, after Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals, there became the sulking and there became, he couldn't get, he couldn't play his way back into it. And other things too. I mean, there, I don't think it was a singular thing just with that. I think there were some other things with with trust issues that they needed from him to do certain things that he didn't really do. I mean, there were points you talk about a guy that was lost on defense with all the minutes he was getting with with some of those injuries with Hall and Aikens out last year. Um, there were times when you looked at him and he was still spinning circles on the defensive side. He was a guy who I think loves the game, you know. But he was also a guy, and we've all been this, you know. He was a college kid in love, and um, I, you know, let's just yep. say he he was in love, and uh, yep. sometimes that that came first, and so that 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 you yeah. know, look, we've love it. Love is undefeated, they say. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So um, that was that was an interesting interesting day. Um, all right, but let's let's move on to the the Arizona game because I I do think this is like this is a this is the best team they've played. Arizona is also were, undefeated, by the way. Five and zero. Oh. Uh, this is. I, I thought Michigan State would lose this game before the season. I think m- m- that's more likely even now. But if they are to win it, I mean, you talk about measuring sick games. Everything else goes away because if you can beat this Arizona team on a neutral floor, you you can win a national title. I mean, I, I really believe Arizona is one of the you know teams that can win a national title this year, as long as Caleb Love keeps playing like he is, because they got all the pieces around him. And so if you win this game, all the worries about, oh, the ceiling and all this stuff, that's gone. That's just gone. It's gone in one night because you see what they're able to do. And so we'll get a sense of where they are. I, I think this is a better team than Duke. They obviously beat Duke in a true road game at Duke by five points. Uh, I think Duke could grow into a team that makes a tournament run. But I don't. Duke does not have what Arizona has in terms of two big men, uh, a four-man from San Diego State who's a transfer, who's their leading scorer, who's tough to deal with on his own. But two big men are just loads in the post, skilled. One of them European, Lithuanian kid who's uh, both seven-footers. Um, and then a number of guys shooting over 50% or at least 50% from three. And then Caleb Love playing efficient basketball, which is weird. Uh, he didn't used to do that in North Carolina. But it, it is a <laughs> difficult team. With all, there's just You can't leave shooters. they got big men you, you know, they are hard to deal with. they got a really good four-man. It's it's a really complete team right now. If Love plays this way, running the show, and that's that so far he he has. Yeah, and it's I mean to me this is a game where the bigs need to show up for Michigan State. I mean they got four seven footers on this roster, and I think five other guys that are six eight to six ten. 
I yeah. mean, this is a big, deep team it, that is kind of the antithesis of what MSU is. And, you know, I think we saw some things. I, I saw, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting was Malik Hall running middle break uh in one sequence against Alcorn State. Whether that's going to be there in this game, I don't know. But if if you want a little hint, you know, as to some way to, to kind of break out that size and, and break down that size, run Malik Hall down the middle in the five. I mean, use your, use your speed and athleticism advantage over the bigs if you, if you can do it um, because they are going to need to get out and run on this team. Um, will they, I mean, cause this is a good rebounding team and Michigan state right now is struggling. I don't know if they can win this game, um, based on the matchup, but, um, you know, you're right though. If they can, it, I mean, it, it's not winning on the road in a true road environment. Um, it'll be closer to home for sure for Arizona. I mean, I, I, this is, this is akin to like Michigan state going and playing in Indianapolis in a tournament. Right, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. a couple it, it, hours away, and you know, you what, what is it? What is there? What is Arizona? Four hours from this? It's a drive, Something but like it's not. That, yeah, like, cross the so, desert. So I mean, it, yeah, and it's you know, it is Thanksgiving Day, a one-off. You know, it'll be interesting to see what the crowd is at, at, at this this place in Palm Palm, Palm Desert. I, I don't know that or Palm Springs. It, it, it's not. Um, I, yeah, I'll be curious to see how much of a road environment. It's definitely not a home game, though, right? And so it's the sort of game you could wind up in in an NCAA tournament where it's a neutral site but the other team's got more fans you know or whatever yeah. it might be and 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 I am curious you talk about the bigs like Carson Cooper is is clearly uh past Mati Sissoko at this point there, there's no doubt about that but but these are the games where that also has to show up still like it's one thing for him to be better than Mati Sissoko against against Butler and I thought he was better than Matty uh, Matty against Duke too but it's one thing to be better when both players should have some advantages when neither player has an advantage who holds up better means something. And so yeah. that's what Carson Cooper has to show that, like, because Mati is more barrel chested. He's stronger. He has some deficiencies. But in a game like this, you know, who holds up better and, and, and which matchup works? They're, they're different players a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, Ballo the, the, is more of a, he's a, I mean, they're both 260 pounds, but Ballo is seven foot, 260s. He's he's a load down there. Um, you know the 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 other kid, the Lithuanian uh, Marakaskis, I think it is Maraskis or whatever it is, is um, no, that's that's sorry, that's one of their shooters. I apologize, I got the wrong. Yeah. I'm looking at the wrong stat. That's that too many too many guys with European names. Uh, Krivas is is the uh, is the freshman, the seven foot two freshman guy can spin, do a lot of things like that. I I don't think he's the guy. I don't think is going to go well for Sissoko. I think that's going to have to be Cooper with 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 help when when he's in the when he's in the game. Yeah, I mean, they may have to go double big um, with those two, with the size that they've got at times. I mean, although I, I don't know how much. I mean, those two are only playing about seventeen, eighteen. Like they're not playing on them a lot together. I'll be they curious haven't to see. been, and I think that you know there were times though at the end of last year where you did see that. Well, not with one's a freshman, the Crivis kid, right? Oh, so I'm, no, 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 no. I'm talking about playing Cooper and and Sosoko oh, I see. together I see. Yeah. to counter the bigs that they have. I mean, because. You know, I mean, you also have to worry about the foul trouble because you're you, you get one of those guys into foul trouble, you're putting Xavier Booker into five, or you're or you're going to go under five with undersized with Hall at the five. 
this is a game where Jackson Kohler would help because he would he would yes. be a guy who would would also not just fouls and defense, but would force those guys to guard him and, and he would that, get them into foul trouble. That's the one thing that those other yeah. two guys don't have is that up and under move yeah. to get contact and finish through it at, in the paint, which Kohler showed last year. He has the ability to do that. Um, and over the summer, and you know when we saw him, had the had a little more strength and a little more chisel to his body. He's out of the walking boot. Um, probably should be back. I think Matt Stegging on the pregame show said possibly within a week. So you're looking at that target date of right before Big Ten play. So he's still going to be behind. I mean, you're not going to have this the kid who was coming out of the summer. Right now, he's going to need to get that time to get his body back in shape to to be prepared for the Big Ten grind, um, and it's going to be thrust right into it. Yeah, it it would still it'll still be helpful to have him. His body, he still looks in, in good shape. It doesn't look like he's been, you know. It's not like me. If yeah, but, two but good shape versus basketball shape are two different things. No, but what I mean is, in terms of remaking his body, he still looks like the guy over the summer. Um, you know, a little bit more than he did oh, like yeah. last year. But you know, what's interesting is what Izzo said Monday. I thought was 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 interesting too. I mean, because th- this game is going to come down to MSU's guards. If they're going to have an advantage, that's where it's going to be. And he, the two guys he's talking about, he, he said, you know, it really is AJ Hogard and Jade Nakins have to play better. Those yeah. two guys, and and so that's what it's going to come down to. Can they raise their level of play to? Where they think Aikens can be, and where Hogard was at the end of last year, they need they need last year's Hogard, and they need Aikens to take a step um, beyond even what he was last year as, as, as a creator. And you see them working on that, and, and you know, in practice, they 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 want him to be um, him to be a guy who who drives and shoots and and, and scores on the on, on the move, not just a corner three guy, but they need him to hit those shots too. They need they need Jay Aikens to be. Much more of a, a a headliner than he is to this point, and then they need consistency out of Hogard. And um, those two, if those two guys don't play well, they they will not come close to beating Arizona. I do think that when you talk about the the things that they want and need Jay Nakins to be, there were points in that Alcorn State game, and again, we're talking about a what forty some point win. Um, but Akins was getting the hard penetration, and then pulling up at the free throw line for mid-range. And that's not what they want. They he if he wants to take the next step in his career to get to the, the league, um yeah, it's important to have that, but you got to go to the to the rack. And it's the same He's got to do both too. Yeah, you do have to have both, but the you know, it it's sometimes I, I and I love the mid-range. Don't get me wrong. My my high school coach used to preach um that if you go elbow to elbow um and you could have ten to twelve points a game of mid range jumpers with a as a decent shooter. Nothing like nineteen eighty six basketball instruction. I <laughs> but and this was the nineties and there was the three point line. Um, it wasn't as prevalent as it was, but I mean, we ran a flex offense. So I mean that's that's a, that's a perfect thing for to do in the flex offense. But it's not in this offense, and it's not in this you know. 30 years later, you got to be able to attack the rim, finish in, in the paint, and shoot from outside. Akins is he's starting to get, after that really awful start, he's starting to see some drop a little bit. Um, but he's got to get that, he's got to get to the rim. It's the same with Hogard. Hogard's, Hogard's, Hogard's at his best when he's getting into the paint 
and not just looking to score, but facilitating. And I don't feel like I've seen him do either at this point. Yeah, and and, and to Aiken's point, like if you, he's just got to be efficient, like that that uh, he likes that pull up jumper from the left elbow. You know, it's 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 a shot he enjoys, and if he can hit it with regularity, then good. Um, you know, but you're right; he's, he does have to get to the rim a little more. This will be, um, I this will be a really good measuring stick game because it, you know, we'll we'll find out exactly where they are. This is the best team they will have played, and um, we'll have we'll have a really good feel for things again. The game is at four p.m. On Eastern Time on Thanksgiving Day, um, in in Palm Springs, uh, California. You will uh, be the there. Next, I will not I, be there. I will be I back will be there. here. You'll be out in the, be the desert sun. I mean, you know, maybe maybe is there a, is there uh, is Coachella like a winter Coachella <laughs> going on? <laughs> maybe you can catch a show, bring some people over to the game. This this pasty belly does well in the uh, in the <laughs> California sun for sure. Uh, the um. Uh, the next day, though, uh, we will both be at uh, Michigan State's football game. Yes, I'll, I will believe it when I see you there. God willing, my travels. God willing. Every, God willing. Everything, everything looked, I mean, you know, I've, I left myself some room. This wasn't like a Chris Solari logistical plan here. There's, mm, I, I get into just, Chicago You might be jinking yourself. Okay. If, if, yeah. if, if. I've had well, you will be you will you will be there at the very least. Yes. I, I could be in a you know hotel bar in Albuquerque uh, <laughs> watching the game and writing quick takes or something. But um, and if that happens, I'll just I'll just stay away for a while. But the uh, it's Friday night at Ford Field, Michigan State ends their football season against Penn State, uh, four and seven. Michigan State nine and two. Penn State. Penn State playing for a New Year's Six Bowl, but no longer a Big Ten title or any of the things they really wanted coming into this year. They're sort of in a second tier in the Big Ten all their own, uh, ahead of Michigan State, obviously, but uh, not not at the uh, Ohio State-Michigan uh, level. Um, Going to be a, a bunch of stuff. So Harlan Barnett talked Monday, and a couple things. Before we get into that game, one of the things he was asked about and talked about you're, was you're the coach. Yeah, this might have been your question. Was the, I asked uh, him was, about his elevator pitch. He had never heard the term elevator pitch. Yeah, he that's it, right. he hadn't heard that. But he what did he say? It was going to be his fat uh, his he, fastball, his blitz package. Yeah, right. I'm like that's a little bit more in your in your realm, I guess. His pitch to be Michigan State's permanent head coach. He talked about wanting the job and being told he will uh, you know get an interview for it. Um, and so that's you know he he was told that a little while ago because when I, I when I sat down with him, I was before the Nebraska game, so. You know, like early November, I think it was November second. He had already been told that he would get to interview for the job. Now, you know, I, I don't think anybody thinks Harlan Barnett is getting this job, um, and and I don't. He might not either. I mean, let's. The one I'm thing about Harlan sure, Barnett, yes. he is a positive person. He's talked. Totally. If you followed the last couple of weeks, he's talked a lot about having the positive mindset, being himself, and keeping the positive mindset. And as a coach, you can't. I don't. I don't think he can get out of that. And say, you no. know what? I'm. This is probably my last game as head coach. He said the right thing. I mean, if if you're walking into an interview, are you going to say that you shouldn't get the job? Absolutely. This is your career. You want to fight for it, and and you you. This is your dream, and you were put in a tough spot, and you've done some things really well uh, in terms of like keeping this group together. And you, you, yeah, and you want to also go in there and sell yourself, and and you know what? It, it it's. Probably not going to be enough because um, the body of work really isn't enough. I, I think th- they have desires on, uh, you know, bringing in an established head coach. It would have taken, 
you know, what, what's really interesting though, Chris, is if Malik Carr, who last week was the Malik Carr that we maybe envisioned at the beginning of the season, they certainly hope they'd get the true difference maker that they have not had on the offensive side of the ball. The guy who's a problem. Uh, the first, you know, he's, he's a Jaden Reed uh, type player, uh, not uh, Kenneth Walker, but the guy who's a problem in any matchup, right? Doesn't matter who you, who the opponent is when he's healthy and good, he's a problem. Any receiving matchup, any receive, yeah. And so that right, and so that guy, if he had been around, we saw him early. They went to him against Iowa, and then he got hurt. He didn't play against uh, Rutgers, or if he did, it was very little. Didn't play much and do much against Minnesota. I think they win those three games with the other with the Malik Carr we just saw. Then you've got a seven and four football team instead of a four and seven football team, and it would be it would be interesting in the conversation that was being had. I still don't think Harlan Barnett would get this job, but there would be people you know there would be an argument for him at seven and four uh, to say, well, wait a second, is this is this um, you know so Malik Carr. On his own, <laughs> some bad luck injuries may have been the difference or not yeah. between looking at this season very differently. Just because the Big Ten's that bad, too, and, and, and there, it doesn't take much to get over the hump. Well, remember that first quarter he had at Iowa. I mean, it was it was everything that you saw over the course of the full game at Indiana. It's just that he got hurt, got the concussion, and, and was out after that and missed the rest of that yeah. game. And, you know, maybe they win that game with Malik Carr healthy for the final three quarters. I mean, who's to say? I mean, it was a special teams meltdown at, at that game. It was a special teams mistake at Rutgers that cost them. No, you, Noah Kim might still be the quarterback. I mean, yeah, and, and I thought Chiano did a good job of adjusting to a, what MSU's offense was doing at that point and really choked them out on the ground. And, you know, yep. we've we've seen that on a couple occasions where teams will run on them and just run it out, run it out, run it out. But they were up twenty four six in the fourth. Still, I mean, it was, that was Shiano didn't do. You know, I mean, they should have won that game too. That, oh that yeah, was the one. but but yeah, yeah. I, they didn't throw the ball. I mean, they kept the ball on the ground and wore down Michigan State's defense. And I mean, you think about how depleted this team was on Saturday at Indiana. I mean, forty. I mean, they were, I'm not kidding you. I looked down on the field, and I'm pretty well-versed in the roster, and there was one guy that I looked at, and I had to do a double-take, and I'm like, I'd never heard of this guy. And and I I mean, it, it was a very basic name, very common name, where I, I but I was still, with the name and the number, I'm like, this isn't registering, and because that's where they were at. I mean... That and you know the injuries they took in game with Nick Samak, who's going to be out for the Penn State game. Um, you know that's a big loss because he's been kind of the heart and soul guy on that offensive line. And then you know I don't know. It sounds like Nate Carter is going to be back. That was a scary moment um, with him collapsing. But Harlan said today or Monday that that Carter is expected to play on Friday. And Brandon Wright, Brandon that, Wright, you know, you know yep. also carted off with with a leg injury, kind of like same act, but he's he kind of left him as a little bit more questionable. Um, doesn't sound like they're going to get anybody back from the injured list, um, which includes Jerron Glover and Trey Mosley. So, you know, it, it's managing the parts at this point. If you want to try and pull the upset at Penn State, and it'll be interesting to see if Penn State is 
playing for something. I mean, yeah, they have a New Year's Six Bowl on the line, but they're not playing for a championship. And Michigan State's playing for pride and in their backyard. What the crowd's going to look like, I don't know. But but for sure, I mean, it's, it's going to be a real interesting – I think had Penn State still been in the Big Ten title hunt, this would have been a Penn State takeover and might get ugly. Totally. But I, I think this is going to be a real fascinating kind of kind of game. And Penn State has been outstanding on defense all year, but they've been almost impenetrable by teams that aren't Ohio State and Michigan. Well, that's the thing. I mean, everybody acts like they're not this – and they're not a great team. I mean, but defensively, they've been, you're right, they've been tremendous, right? They, I mean, they're just 12.5 points a game. That's fourth best in college football. Now, some of that's because of the Big Ten, and I mean, they're fourth in the Big Ten too. But Yeah, but take out take out those the, the losses where yeah. I think they gave up 44 of their points. I mean, that's it's, it drops down to like 10.3 points a game that they're giving up against mortal, mortal competition. They lead the nation in um, in sacks at three point seven three a game. I mean that's that's an issue. Can you protect Kaiten Hauser? Can he take strides and you know standing in there? And- uh, he did not get sacked at Indiana, and they had pressure. I thought he did. He took a step forward in terms of totally. evading it. And I mean, the touchdown pass at the end of Malik Carr was as much Kaiten Hauser it was Malik Carr with his spin move away from the pressure and then and working, stepping in working working horizontally to extend the pocket rather than taking off and running and and not you know when he plays off his back foot he's got trouble yes. and and that happens sometimes he gets he gets a little bit of happy feet so that that'll be that'll be interesting the other thing that's that's important to note it well one is Drew Aller left the game for Penn State and was injured in the third quarter looked like a shoulder injury but sounds like at least James Franklin expected him as of Monday to play. They hadn't practiced yet, so he wasn't sure, but he expected him to play. And so, you know, Aller's back, uh, you know, because they, they only threw the ball once at the backup. That would change things significantly if he, he couldn't go. But, you know, Penn State's offense, for all the crap it's taken, and, you know, they fired their offensive coordinator, and, yes, they are not – It is they've been disappointing relative to their expectations this season. However – their reputation is essentially the, the 2012, 20 to 12 loss to Ohio State and 24 uh, to 4 to 15 home loss to Michigan because they also beat Iowa 31 nothing. They thumped what's turned out to be a decent Northwestern team 41 yeah. 13. They scored 33 points against Indiana and 51 in trouncing Maryland. Like they're not, so there are elements of them that, that aren't that awful. Now the defense puts them in great positions all the time. On the flip side of that, Penn State averages like I mean they average like 373 yards a game and only 195 of that through the air, and the defense puts them in favorable spots. So like they're not they're not a, a, an offense that should run away from Michigan State if Michigan State uh, is healthy enough and determined enough for like one last steely performance. I you know and and I think the guys want to do that. The question is at a certain point you're beat up so much um, that it becomes difficult. I, but I, I do think they'll have. One last. They haven't quit yet. They're not going to quit before this game. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if it, Allard's shoulder is an issue and he can't throw the ball, I mean. Big problem. I mean, it. yes and no, because you just look at Michigan State's side and you've got Chance Rucker who sat out the second half for the second straight week who wasn't, who wasn't healthy enough to finish the game out at Indiana – 
and Dylan Tatum's out for the rest of the year. So you're down yeah. to the backups to the backups in some cases at cornerback with Brantley out and with Marquis Lowry out. Um, there's not a lot of depth in that that secondary right now. Um, so that could be that could negate something like a quarterback issue like that, and a younger quarterback could have a, a game because you don't have necessarily some of the film out there. The other thing, Chris, is you bring up, you know, I mean, like Michigan State for a while, and, and Penn State's been good against uh, good running the football. Like last week when they had to run it, they ran, I think it was, and, and Rutgers has fallen apart a little bit here, but they, they also ran at six yards a carry for 234 yards, and they salted away the game. They ran it 57 times for 218 against Iowa but Michigan State in the middle of the season was doing okay against the run. They had Iowa 2.3 yards to carry, Rutgers 3.1, Michigan just 3.5 in that otherwise disaster. And since then, as injuries have piled up, if you know, MSU, I don't know if MSU can recapture that, but if they can be, you know, teams that have limited Penn State against the run have done okay against them, and I, we'll see if MSU can be that. I think that's going to be a real determining thing as well. Yeah, I mean, getting Maverick Hansen back would be a big help for that in the middle of the line. Um, Brandon Wright could be a loss. Um, didn't see a whole lot from Zion Young in that game at Indiana, um, but you know, if Jalen Thompson can play well, a, a real interesting situation with uh, Ken Talley going against the team that he had signed with, went to camp with last year, and and then left camp at Penn State to transfer to Michigan State. That, that I think, is going to be something to keep an eye on because, I mean, with the, the lack of depth and bodies up front, he's going to be needed to play some snaps. Um, but stopping that run, I think, is what you do. And it, I, I believe their backup quarterback is more of a running threat as well. So, that I mean, that could... And and again, with the injuries that Michigan State has had uh, on that front four, um, teams are going to pound them. I mean, that, I thought I thought Tom Allen at the end of the first half, uh, when Derek Harmon went out with an injury, uh, he eventually came back. But they had a fourth string offensive tackle turned defensive tackle. Uh, in Ben Nelson in and at least the first couple of plays he got blown off the ball and they ran the ball right at the, right at him three straight plays for a touchdown and 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 that's no fault to him because I do think that he was he, that's a tough spot to be in because first of all it's not your primary position you were brought in to be an offensive lineman second of all even though you've bounced back and forth between the two positions this is your first real action and it's red zone in a Big Ten game. It's not like you've got the chance to do this against Richmond or CMU. Um, so, I mean, that that was a tough spot for Ben Nelson to be in, but Indiana exploited that, and, it, and they need that depth. They need Hanson to be healthy. They need uh, Harmon to, to be healthy. They need Simeon Barrow to, to not have his uh, weekly leave the game for a drive or two and then come back situations. I mean, but I mean, credit those guys because they are playing really banged up is we talk, we see all the injuries, but we're not even talking about the guys that are as banged up. Like those interior tackles have been for Michigan state. The thing that you, you mentioned, mentioned earlier, I think is a, is a good way to, to wrap our conversation on the game is I do also, I'm curious about the environment, right? Like when this game was, conceived other than sort of giving in to the big 10 and television execs it was thought it would be 
kind of a cool experience, something different on Thanksgiving weekend, a warm environment, uh, all that stuff, right? Yeah, I think the players were excited about it. Maybe it's a good recruiting weekend. You didn't have to worry about the pipes in the upper deck freezing at Ford Field. <laughs> yeah. None of these, nobody saw this season unfolding like it did. And and so now, you know, I don't, I think MSU fans will still turn out to this to some degree. I think Penn State fans will still, to some degree, try to get in. I, 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 I'm just wondering what the environment will be and, and how it will impact the football on the field. And I, I just don't think we, we have a really good sense of that. If, if it wound up being a really good Michigan State crowd, I think that could make a significant difference. I just don't know if it'll be that. Yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated to see how many Lions fans stick from the day before. Most people probably just go home. Um, yeah. So, and I, and I think I, I'll also be interested. Twenty eight hours later. Yeah, but I'll also be interested to see how many of the high school kids and yep, high school early. teams. I mean, they're they're going to try to be dialed in and laser focused, but their family's going to be there. Um, there's a built there's built in people that are going to be around. Um, whether they buy the tickets or they go holiday shopping or like Harlan Barnett said that that families could do, um, you know, or any of the other things to do around the city, um, it'll be it'll be interesting. But I do think that, you know, I mean, this is this isn't exactly like playing Florida Atlantic like they did in 2011. I think it was 2011, wasn't it? 11 or is it 2010? It's been so yeah, long ago. I, yeah, it was at that game, but I mean, there weren't many people there. This isn't that. I mean, this is this is a Big Ten it's a game. Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's no, just, this is no, this is different. And people, and, and and I don't think it's a bad idea to do once. I know some people don't like it, but it is. You know, Friday night. If you're going to play on Friday, um, which I which I love because uh, I mean, I want to see the Michigan Ohio State game as much as anybody, right? I, and and I think a lot of people do as well. If you're going to play on Friday. Um, you know, do, it's a weekend where it, it, it nobody's schedule is normal. A lot of people have family around. It's not a bad time to you've been you know if you got family there all weekend and it's like man we're around each other a lot. It's not bad to get tickets to a game and go do something else on Friday night. I mean, I I I just think it, it has a chance to be a cool thing. I just think the season has been just take some of that some of that uh, out of it. Well, think about it this way: if I mean, if you're a Michigan State fan. Yeah, I mean, you got one chance to maybe go three and one in November. That's pretty good finish to what this season really is. If you look at it from a ten thousand foot view and say, by the way, you're going to have a new coach two games into the season who's never been a head coach, and you're going to deal with all these injuries, all this attrition along the way with that. If you were able to finish three and one in November after a six game losing streak, I mean, there's something to be said about that in terms of where this program was in late September and early October when it was at its low points after the Iowa and Rutgers losses. No, and and, and I think even losing this game, the fact that they've won two in November, that I think four and eight doesn't feel like bottoming out. It's not a great year, but considering what you know where things were headed for a few weeks there in October, I, I, I think it's you know they've gotten they've gotten something out of this. There's been you know I, I would still be, still better than the year that they came off the college football playoff. And what's weird is if, if nothing happens with Mel Tucker, you know a lot of the the, yeah. the things that you were wondering if they could happen. I mean there are there are some real progress that's been made on defense. You know um, the the you know offense has got some issues. The the problem Tucker would have had on offense in this program has is you know 
all these years in, and, and he's had difference makers until this year, and, and he would have had one in Keon Coleman if he stuck around, but he does not have, uh, other than what we saw from Elite Carr last week, difference makers, guys who really are problems, and that, that the offense should have more of that. And the defense, though, I think took some steps. Quarterback would have been really interesting. Now I don't know. You know, I think Sam Levitt not traveling last week, not great uh, because – is a sign of what where his head is, just because. And I, and I know you know you can say, well, he's not going to play. They can use his spot for somebody else, but they, they don't even have enough guys to fill all the allotted spots you're allowed to take on the road. It's not like Sam Levitt couldn't find a place on the bus. I don't think. I don't know unless somebody said something about that, and I, I, I missed. You can't it, but. travel though. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I mean, I I guess he could have gone. I think Dylan Tatum maybe went. He to traveled to game. Columbus. Yeah, he traveled to Columbus. He, you know, he I mean, did, why? but he was in uniform there. Right. No, and, it's a good and, point. And, it, you know, if you've already gone down this many injuries, if you get one more, I mean, the temptation is going to be there for the kid to want to play for the, you know, a, I think it's a protection against maybe, maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just a protection against a competitor wanting to compete and play when the better thing for him is to preserve that year and let himself develop. Because he didn't have he didn't have the spring, so I do think that's important. No, and I don't fault him for it. I, I, I you know, I think I would have done the same thing. I think the I think the worst moment for Harlan Barnett in terms of making his case to be the head coach, and he was unlikely to get the job anyway. But it was not the Rutgers collapse. It was you know it was not you know any of the you know a couple questionable decisions on the field or anything like that. It was the moment he was asked about. Sam Levitt, uh, whether, you know, um, if they'd wished, I think Matt Wenzel may have asked he the did. question about the idea, the idea that did you, did you consider, you know, doing it differently, you know, so he had the last four games of the year or, or setting that up differently, using him, le- not using him more instead of using him sparingly early. So you get more out of, you know, not wasting a game on one or two uh, drives or one or two snaps. And, and Barnett's response was really poor. It was, you know, well, basically, who could have known? In hindsight, who could have known? Everybody could have known. In hindsight, you could see the number of games he had available. You could see where this was going, and it was an issue. And here's where I'm going to say and, and and stick up for him here. When that quarterback battle was going on in camp, and he and these two guys and three guys were competing against each other, Harlan Barnett's watching the secondary. He's trying to get his secondary lined up. He wasn't paying attention to what the quarterbacks necessarily were doing at that point. So this is the t- the, the part where you take over two games into a year, you maybe don't know where that kid is coming along. You may think, well, against Maryland, you may think, well, his family's here. We're probably, I mean, we've got these other two guys. We'll just, you know, Noah Kim had been playing well. He's going to bounce back. We'll give him a series in front of his family. Well, you've wasted a game. And yep. then, and then, you know, the hand, to me, the handling at, at the, uh, the Nebraska game. I mean, they don't win that Nebraska game without him. But the handling of giving him two drives and right. one of them was the four-yard line, that that wasn't fair after the kid played the fourth quarter against Michigan and the fourth quarter at Minnesota. And if he's your best quarterback, you, you just play him at that point. Yeah, and you go back to the Maryland game, and, and perhaps at that point they think, well, um, he's not going to play more than four games anyway. We've got two other guys. And so uh, I, mean, I, I sort of understand that thinking. I ultimately, though, you know, ideally – you would have not played him at all until the final four weeks, and then he would have had him available for whatever. 
or you know uh, maybe you, you you still have three games or two games left so you can use them at the end i i just think but but the bigger thing is the response to that just seemed unprepared for it. Like they didn't see this coming. Like they didn't know that this was going to be an issue. And Jay Johnson seen all this. He, hey, this is when you talk to your. That's on the offensive guys. No like, doubt. like I said, no doubt. like I said, Harlan. This is not his staff. These are not his guys. I mean, sure you build up rapport with the guys you work with, but it's not his program. You know, well, and, no, I, and I don't. And, that's, and I, that's part I, you of know, the problem. I, I think that's you know people. And I know fans were clamoring to have, you know, Jay Johnson, Ross Ells fired. They're, no one's getting fired when you've got an interim situation. There's no one to do the firing. Well, and 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 you know, I I do think Harlan Barnett, like if he were to have his own program, he would hire. I don't think this would be the staff. Okay, I'll just put it like that. I, I don't. I don't, think, I don't think this would be the the philosophies. I, I think you you're you take over at that point in the year. You keep the same philosophies that you've already installed. Absolutely. I mean, you can. We let's go to the Michigan sign stealing scandal. We talk about teams have four sets of signs. You know, they they rotate them. They can't really change them during the season. You really think you're going to change your identity in a season and go from instead of going from a power formation to more of a spread offense, or go from a four-two-five defense into a the three-three-five that Hazelton runs, or uh, 4-3, I mean, they've had to out of necessity to go to a 4-3 and more often, but yeah, it's still your identity. I mean, I, I, I heard people talking about Harlan Barnett being a bad position coach, but the philosophy from what he taught under Mark D'Antonio in terms of funneling the receivers to the outside versus what Mel Tucker wanted in his defense of funneling the receivers to the middle of the field – that's that's a philosophical thing that's not that's your bosses, and then you get blamed for it. I don't know. And I also think you know, uh, from my understanding too, that there were it was not that there were a number of other coaches who could have gotten the job, and you know, and and would have been logical choices, coordinators, you know, uh, assistant head coach types, and they went with Harlan Barnett, and I think that was a little bit of an issue for a little bit. Um, I don't think it was. Um, ugly but I don't think it was as cohesive a situation as it, as it might have been otherwise and you know I, I I it was a tough spot there's no question about it I think Harlan Barnett's done a really good job considering I don't think he's done enough it's very hard to be in that spot and and catch lightning in a bottle to the point that you are then going to get the job permanently because you have to show a lot you have to be not only somebody who keeps kids around you have to galvanize the team and you've got to make good decisions on the field you've got a 10-week audition in which you have to show that you're not just somebody who can keep things together, but you're somebody who can advance the program, and I and that that's a hard thing to do. Jim Leonard couldn't do it a year ago at Wisconsin, you know, and they were hopeful for that, and 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 Harlan Barnett wasn't able to do it uh, at Michigan State. It'll be interesting to see what the next coach thinks about keeping him around, what they want, you know, with the athletic department, because I do think he is he deserves respect for what he's done. I agree. I think some of the, some of the players wouldn't mind having him around. I think there are a couple coaches on staff who would be, uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't hurt to have him around. And, and I also, I, I, you know, depending on which side of the ball you hire, it it will be like, I, I I think the world of Courtney Hawkins potential and, and, and all that, but somebody else may have their own receivers coach. So you don't know, um, you know, you may bring in an offensive guy who likes the progress that's been made on the defensive side of the ball this year and thinks that keeping Hazleton around helps, 
get this, keep this group around and keeps them moving forward. You could see that. Uh, you you just have no idea. I mean, I, I would find it very unlikely that that Jay Johnson is back, given just the offense isn't hasn't done anything. But um, but you just don't know where this is going to go. And um, and and for Harlan, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. Um, I think he he has done his school proud. I think he's um, it's just it's just not going to be yeah. it's just not going to be enough. And, and I'll say this: it, it, he was to me the right guy at that moment to take over because there needed to be a trust when the trust had been breached uh, with Mel Tucker. And the the relationship that Alan Haller and, and Harlan Barnett have had goes back to their playing days under George Perlis. And the trust with Mark D'Antonio was there too. So I do think that at that moment they needed that. But I think it's pretty clear, you know, he had the 10-game audition, nine-game audition thus far, um, where you've seen that it's not probably – he, this is this is a high level for him right now to have his his coaching debut, and it was it was more than like this this season could have gone this way if it was Mel Tucker, but because it's Harlan Barnett because it's an interim tag, um, I, I don't I don't necessarily see him getting more than a cursory interview with it. Yeah, no, I, I but don't he, he I do feel he's earned that, and I feel he's, oh yeah absolutely, he's, he, and I feel he's earned the opportunity to at least present what his vision. Should be yes. because this what you see and what you've seen all fall isn't Harlan Barnett's vision. It's Harlan Barnett carrying out what Mel Tucker wanted. Still down the stretch, yeah, I, I do think he's tried to pivot a little bit. Um, he's out of as, necessity. As things have gone on. Yeah, yeah, right, right. All right. So let's. The other thing is uh, on on that front, and um, before we do predictions here, I mean it will be. For, for you and I and for a lot of people, after this game, when this game ends, there might be a one-day reprieve because a lot of other head coaches are still coaching on Saturday. Um, but by Sunday, Sunday through the middle of next week, I, I think a lot of stuff is going to happen. Uh, I think it'll be the, uh, the, the, the time that this long uh, sort of coaching search process um, comes to a head and, and, and somebody is in, in place unless they're uh, you know in a, in a championship game and and waiting and and that's um you know you you could look at a couple guys but the, you know people talk about I, I don't want you know I don't want to get into specific candidates but there there are, I do think I don't think anybody whose name has really been out there right now is going to be in a uh, conference championship game other than one guy who I don't think is going to be the guy but then I do think you have to at minimum kick some tires you have to kick some tires on guys like Jimbo Fisher you have to kick some tires on some of the names that might come open why would you want Jimbo Fisher to be the coach I'm not saying I'm not saying listen I'm not saying why would you want him if there's an interest there you gotta you can't you can't just hold yourself in and pen yourself in to the guys that are available right now because guys are going to come open like 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 Jimbo Fisher I shouldn't necessarily have said Jimbo Fisher specifically, but I would rather have Harlan Barnett than Jimbo Fisher. Dabo Swinney was still was talking about being underappreciated. If you're throwing the boat at someone, why wouldn't you throw the boat trying to go go big and get Dabo instead of go big and get Urban, who's been out of football for a while? 
don't know. I, I, I just that's just my thought. I mean, I, I think that there's there's always movement at this time of the year, so there might be some guys that come open, and there might be guys that they don't even know are, are looking for other jobs, and they hear, oh, Mel Tucker's looking at LSU. Maybe we should go after him. You know what I mean? No doubt, and 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 yeah, you don't want to get played either because there are a lot of coaches who yep. are, are using will use it to uh, like, and that's what Mel LSU's Tucker did. looking at Mel Tucker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bruce Feldman probably owe in the athletic probably owe uh, Michigan State some some of that contract. Um, that uh, just my uh, my 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 two cents there. No, and, and you know, and I, look if Matt Ishbia was the athletic director and the president and the czar of Michigan State's world, uh, and some may think he is. Uh, you know, the, I don't, you know, the, he would, he would, I think Urban Meyer would be, and I don't know if Urban would do it, but Urban would be, um, certainly candidate number one, two, three, and four. Um, we, we will see where all that goes. And It'll we, be, and we have to see what happens with the university president search. I think they've got, they're down to one person who may or may not take the job. If that's a case, then this could all end up being ripped up paper and wait and see. Well, what so that, that okay, that. so that gets interesting. So if that person is named, but that person would not be approved in time, is the thing. And so that, but but that doesn't mean they couldn't be a part of things unofficially. You know what I mean? And like that would be, that would be interesting because you know you Alan Haller could have the the person that he really wants. And new president, I think the chancellor of North Carolina's, you know, yeah. who's reported to be um, Wits, I believe. Could, yeah, could come in and, and, and want to be part of things and say, I really don't like this person, right? I had a conversation where it wasn't, you know, go with this person. I'm leaning here. Or they could have those conversations be on the same page and the board doesn't approve the candidate because they were split. If the board screws this up, if the board screws this one up, and because the board Listen, has no. How, how, how are they screwing it up? I'm saying if the board doesn't approve somebody that the president and AD want. I'm saying that, that would I'm, be screwing no, it up. No, I'm saying they. The guy that's the the Gutkowitz that's the candidate for president. Oh, if the board doesn't want him, I got you. I got you. I thought you meant the football coach. If the presidential candidate is having those back channel conversations with Alan Haller and they get on the same page and the board doesn't approve the presidential hire, then you've what have you done there? I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. And and let's face it, you have to because of the history of Michigan State, because of the history of the board, you have to at least consider that the chaos could ensue. There's no question. The other thing that Michigan State has to realize is the timing may not be in your favor. You may think, boy, we're going to have a president in place if we can just wait 10 days. You can't wait 10 days. College football needs to change its calendar, okay? You cannot have an early signing period anymore if you're going to have this sort of uh, timing for the transfer portal because coaches need to be in in office helping keep their own rosters they don't need to be on the road in December that's got to go back to February this doesn't all work it's chaos uh, it forces coaches to move too quickly it, it, it's not good for anybody it right now that's got to go, change it needs to go the other way it needs to go up to August before high before high schools start before the college season start kids want to get that kid that's why kids commit when they do well, but, 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 and yeah, and if a coach leaves, then you get out of it, whatever it might be. You can do it a number of different ways. You could do an August signing period and then a February signing period and, and lose December. Yes. But what, what, and that would make more sense. And, but there's lots of illogical people. Somebody once came up with a four team playoff, which is created on needless angst. It's like having five children and four get fed every night. It's ridiculous. But, um, that's beside the point. They, um, they can survive without food for a day. One of them. <laughs> you, long you, you've as long that. as you don't you, pick on one of them. You done that with your own kids there, Chris? Uh, 
contemplating it. Uh, the uh, but what, what I mean is so what, what Michigan State cannot do is oh this presidential hire is going to be in place. We want that person to to have a say, be part of the interview. No, because the legacy of that president at that point begins with the football coaching hire got screwed up because of their hiring date and the board and, and, and them wanting to be a part of it, and that's not a good way to start either. It, it's unfortunate, but if, if the president isn't in place by Saturday at some level, they don't get to be a part of this. They don't. Nope, they don't. It's just the way it is. Any functional school should understand that. The board should understand that. I don't know if this board will understand that. And a new that. president could come in and summarily dismiss the coach that you just hired. And get rid of the AD and do whatever. Who yeah. knows? It, it it could be wild, and you just hope there's 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 not that. You hope there's peace that everybody likes the person they hire, is a as a president and a coach, and and you get a chance to, to to function because there are a lot of other good things going on at MSU, and you you want that part, uh, you know. And and, I, and you know, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. I know I've said this to people, and I know I've said this to you, but the ten to twelve years of D'Antonio Hollis and Simon is the outlier and anomaly in the history of Michigan State. The chaos yep. for the board and the athletics and the problems that it has had has been the norm for 50 years. Outside of that 10-year window. And right now you have a lot of other good things going in athletics. Like, you know, I, I, there's some people who are doubting whether Alan Haller can make the hire, and he may not get this right. And ultimately, if he doesn't, it'll be his last big hire. Made some great hires already. But he, Correct. Like, based on his track record, who else would you want making this hire? He, look what's happening with hockey and Adam Nightingale. You know, uh, there's a lot of excitement around Leah Johnson and volleyball and where that's gone quickly. And Robin Fralick and women's basketball and what that could become. And, and you know, I just think that, like, yeah, to he clearly has, a, has an eye for, you know, the types of people he wants to run the programs at Michigan State, and he's done a good job with that. He was a big part of the Mel Tucker hire, and that didn't work, obviously. And he, he's going to get it partly because he wasn't the officially AD, the AD then, even though he's, um, you know, was was really spearheaded that. Although, although there are some people who think wrongly that they that him and Mel Tucker were super close friends, which they were not at the they end. Were, they no. were not. That friction started early when Tucker wanted to switch Spartan Stadium to grass. And there was rumbling that mean. was there for, to turf from the grass, and that that hit some some loggerheads right away, pretty early on. Haller was into that as well. Um, I mean, and, and uh, you know, and he because he, he thought they could use Spartan Stadium for a lot of things, but the, uh, the I think the contract is what what did it, and he was yeah. not as as thrilled with the way that all went down, and uh, and then you know. The, Apparently some other stuff, and I. Think, <laughs> um, so anyway, that that that's going to be a fascinating um, next week, really, because what what are we at now? Where well, this is Monday night? Nah, it's Tuesday morning now. Yeah, it's Tuesday morning now. So by the time we record our next podcast, and we'll have to be careful about this next week because things could change quickly. We will record next week at some point. We'll try to do it at a time when there's the most amount of stuff has happened, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and and but we'll see. We may record a podcast. We may finish it. It may be like the middle of the night last time when I was writing a Rocket Watts column at Illinois, and all of a sudden Mel Tucker was the new coach, and yeah. that Rocket Watts column never saw the light of day, or at least was was quite uh, – the can, interview never saw the light of day. I, I can I recall that. I, I do recall that night at, at uh, Assembly Hall slash State Farm Center. Pre-pandemic, what we didn't know. Hmm. Um, all right, let's – quickly, and I know it's early and you haven't thought this through yet, but if you had Not to give an early – early prediction what would you say for uh basketball and football 
Uh, basketball, I will say that Arizona wins by 12. And football, I will say Penn State wins by, let's say, 12. Yeah, I have football, I have 31-10. Uh, and I've already written that only because our Thanksgiving print deadlines are, are, are <laughs> quite something. And um, so I had to put something together very early. Uh, 31-10 is what I have for uh, football, which is actually what the spread is moved to. I think that's probably about accurate. Um, not that it, up to know, 21, that, 21 and a half. Yeah, yeah. Up to 21 right now. Maybe it's even gone higher, but it's, I saw it at 21 and then in basketball and, and there is no Vegas line out yet. I th- think, uh, you know, 75, 66, I, it's not that Michigan state can't beat Arizona. It's just that based on everything we've seen so far, Arizona is a better team and, yeah. and Michigan state is going to actually have to show it, uh, to, to, to predict it. Um, uh, we will be back next week, uh, with, with, um, you know, could be all sorts of new football coach. Michigan State could be fine in basketball, having just thumped Arizona. Uh, We'll have coverage uh, of Michigan State-Arizona basketball, of Michigan State-Penn State football, and then everything that ensues at lsj.com, at freep.com, and at greenandwhite.com. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Chris. Yes, happy Thanksgiving, safe travels, and maybe we'll see you Friday in uh, Detroit. I I hope to be there. This has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, uh, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. Please rate, subscribe, throw fruit, whatever it is you do best, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.